Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by MB Ranch King. MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. With durability and convenience in mind, MB Ranch King's maintenance-free hunting blinds are constructed with high-grade steel and come in a variety of sizes to meet any hunter's needs. They also offer high-quality, easy-to-use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more information or a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. And also brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, They now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. I'm your host, Joe Baya, here with my co-host, Clint Flowers and Butch Theory again this week. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back on the show. Always enjoy hosting Hunting Land with you. Excellent. Clint, something new we're going to talk about today. It's not really new, but it's getting a lot of buzz right now, so it's new to a lot of landowners. We're getting a lot of questions about it. So we thought, hey, rather than answer the same questions every day, we can just slip somebody a podcast and answer all those same questions we're getting. And that's carbon credits. You're hearing a lot about this, hearing more and more about this. So the purpose of today's show is really to explain them for landowners specifically, what they need to know, what they need to understand. Have you started using carbon credits, enrolling in carbon credits? Uh, Give me the Give me the language that you even used to say that you're using them. Yeah. Full disclosure, I've actually got around uh, 1,100 acres enrolled for myself, clients, partners with the group we're speaking with today. And, you know, we evaluated probably another almost 10,000 acres to put into the program either for this year or in the future. So I've been dealing with carbon credits since back in the earlier 2000s when this program was completely different. So these guys have really turned things on their head and started something new. And that's why the the buzz has started again. Yeah. So Butch, what do you know about carbon credits? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) So this will be a very interesting (laughs) spectrum of an interview. Yeah, I can't wait. Well, today we're talking to Alex McIntosh, director of U.S. Origination for the Natural Capital Exchange. Alex, first off, Tell me what the director of U.S. Origination does, and then tell me a little bit about the Natural Capital Exchange. Sounds great. Thanks, Joseph, and, and thank you guys for having me on today. Really looking forward to the conversation. Um, as, you, as you've alluded to already, there's a lot of like, educational opportunities with carbon credits and for forest landowners, and we're really, really excited to be part of the conversation. And I think uh, any chance we have to talk about this stuff and demystify it a little bit is uh, an opportunity we'll gladly jump into. So thank you guys for having me on. You bet, man. We got a bunch of questions for you. The Natural Capital Exchange, I guess, easier to say is NCX. How'd you guys come about? Yeah, so folks might know us as uh, previously as Sylvia Terra. When we were Sylvia Terra, we were focused on using remote sensing technology you know, through satellite imagery and forest biometrics modeling to do low-cost inventory projects for in sort of more consulting style relationships. So we were working with some really large landowners, PIMOs, REITs, government organizations, NGOs to help uh, reduce some of that you know, cost burden with doing inventory and really understanding and measuring the forest. As part of that, we actually got to do some inventory work for 
um, for forest carbon projects. Um, that's a really significant part of the, the cost structure for some of these uh, more conventional projects, some of the ones maybe that Clint was referencing. So saw an opportunity to, to play a role there. And then as part of that, understanding more and more how these programs were designed, we saw a big opportunity to, as you put it, sort of turn it on its head and make, make a program that really worked for the vast majority of, of landowners, specifically private forests, you know, family landowners. Well, to start thing to start this thing off, I think first and foremost, what is a carbon credit? Yeah, so a carbon credit, the way I would describe it is it's a change on the landscape, or I guess you'd say the impact from a carbon perspective um, that's generated from a change on a landscape versus what a business as usual management scenario might be. So a lot of times folks think about carbon credits as you know planting trees where maybe you're converting pasture land into a forest in a forested area. In that scenario, you're going to be generating a lot of opportunities for sequestering carbon, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and into that wood biomass. And we can think about that similarly with respect to what our program currently focuses on, which is harvest deferral. So how do we how do we incentivize landowners to change their management so that they maybe harvest less intensively or harvest later than they would otherwise because of maybe they're going to harvest this year or in the coming years because of cash flow considerations. But are there other benefits that a landowner could be compensated for changing that management, maybe harvesting later, growing a you know, bigger, more carbon rich forest, if you will. And so really what we're doing is trying to quantify those um, ecosystem services, in this case, you know, the, the climate and, and carbon benefits that could occur if a, if a landowner was uh, incentivized to change their management versus what they would have done otherwise in the absence of our program. So the end goal here is we're trying to offset by leaving trees standing, we're trying to offset carbon emissions that are happening somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good point. So I, I kind of talked about, I sort of answered your question from the, the landowner side, which is where, where I focus. I, I could talk more about our, our, the U.S. origination team and what we're focused on in a second. But I talked about it more from the landowner side, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the buyers of these credits are companies that are looking to, as you said, offset their emissions. That could be because they have publicly stated emissions reductions targets. You hear a lot about companies wanting to be net zero. These are the companies that we're working with to help them achieve their, their emissions reductions and climate impact targets. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there are other ways that companies are, are reducing their, their, uh, their footprint from an emissions and environmental perspective by reducing the emissions intensity in their supply chains and, and whatnot. But you know, what we know to be true for companies to hit those targets, a lot of them are going to require on, you know, offset credits that can be generated from programs like ours. Very interesting, man. I'm, you're offsetting these giant companies' carbon footprint, so to speak. How much land do you have to own to be eligible for a program like a carbon credit? Yeah. One of the really exciting things that I kind of referenced earlier is that we're leveraging a decade of experience using remote sensing technology to really democratize access to this opportunity. So for us, for you know, landowner to participate in our program, you could have as few as 10 or 15 acres. The really important thing for us is that we're working with landowners who are managing a working forest where the likelihood of harvest exists such that by participating in our program, they could be changing their behavior versus their business as usual management practices. So that could be 15 really well-stocked acres with good access to markets, um, could be 100 acres, could be 1,000, 10,000. It's really all about that fit where by participating in our program, you would be actually changing, you know, what your business as usual management would have been in the absence of, of the program. And historically, you know, when this first came up in the earlier 2000s, these programs, the, the money 
was always enticing to landowners as far as what it generated. What turned most of them off was the length of the program, length of the contracts, because it would be decades long to perpetual and decades long might as well be perpetual for many of these landowners. So, you know, Howard, how did you change that? I mean, what's the current term of these agreements? Yeah, that's a good one, Clint. So yeah, I talked, touched a little bit on using the remote sensing technology to really reduce the, the cost of participation because we can do a lot of the measuring and monitoring remotely. The other really big innovation is the contract term length, as you referenced. So we we're using a, a carbon accounting framework that's called 10-year accounting. And that essentially quantifies the climate impact of a landowner deferring harvest by a year at a time. So our contract terms are one year long. And so that means that a landowner can participate for a year, change their management practices uh, versus what we assess as their baseline management scenario, which we do again, using uh, that remote sensing technology I keep referencing. And then they can participate for that year. And then afterwards, if they want to do something else in their forest, do some different management objectives, they don't need to continue to participate. Or if they want to, they could re-enroll for a, for a future year. So the one-year terms definitely are appealing to landowners for the reasons you described. Folks are, uh, in many cases, whether they're family forest landowners or medium or large landowners, they're, they're not as excited about the long-term encumbrances that come with some of the traditional programs. So I'd like to break it down and figure out exactly what we're talking about here, Alex. So say I've got, <laughs> like, well, like I said, I I'm, I'm, I'm know nothing about it. Say you have 500 acres of pine plantation. You know, the goal of pine plantation is to make money. You know, you, you plant and then you thin, 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 and then, you, and then you cut. So how does that work if you do have a working pine plantation, if you want to use that acreage for carbon credits? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great one. Pine plantations, I think, are you know, probably the best example that I can, I, I usually start there with a sort of working from zero example. So as you said, pine plantations are being managed almost like a crop, right? They're, they've Correct. got that schedule, they're, they know when they're, you know, they're set, coming up for that final harvest, they've done those thinnings, they're ready to go. Typically, that's being managed from, you know, very economically driven. There are financial reasons why you're cutting at 28 or 30 years, depending on, or maybe, or maybe earlier if you're in a you know, really productive area. And so you can regenerate the stand and all that and take that you know, cash flow and sort of keep reinvesting it in, in the plantation. What we're doing is saying, helping landowners understand the, the economic cost of deferring that cash flow by one year, being paid to do so through the carbon credits. And then essentially what we're, we're doing is allowing you to grow, that, you know, extend that rotation by a year or two or three, depending on if you want to re-enroll be paid to do that because you know, that's really changing your behavior versus your business as usual management. At the end of the day, you are collecting some carbon revenue, which won't be you know, nearly as much you know, cash as you would get from a, a final harvest, but it does allow you to put that rotation up by a year or two, extend that optimal economic rotation length uh, by a bit, put on some more volume, potentially move up product class, uh, product classes, maybe more, more of that chip and saw is getting into the saw timber category which is good for, you know, the, the economic prospects of that harvest. And yeah, meanwhile, you're, you've really been changing your behavior, harvesting a little bit later, and there's a climate benefit that you're getting compensated for uh, as a result of that change in behavior. But even if you don't want to change for whatever reason, let's say you're in some kind of a trust or something that you've got to adhere to that management plan, even then, if you're on a, a plan where you're five to seven years between thinnings, you can still enroll, adhere to that plan, and you're getting paid to wait, right? Basically, how I would work for those stands that we assess as uh, as sort of being maybe in between that third, second, or third thinning and the final harvest, there is potential for a harvest event to occur on that property. Maybe not as great as you know five years from now when we think 
the stand is really ready to go ready for that final harvest. And we're, we haven't talked as much about this yet, but that assessment that we're doing remotely is trying to take into account all of those factors, sort of the like stocking level of a stand, how those characteristics look relative to other stands that are approaching that final harvest. And what's the merchantable volume that's likely to be taken off this property in the coming year based on inventory stats for the property, market conditions, access to common haul routes, all that stuff that really is going to drive that, that harvesting behavior. So it's a risk factor for basically the carbon that that stand's storing right now, the risk factor of it being once it's taken off the stump, it's no longer storing that carbon. That's exactly right. Sort of a, a risk adjusted uh, or likelihood adjusted sort of factor of, of you know, the property and, and what's the, like you said, the stock carbon stocking level and how much of that do we think is going to be removed from the property in that business as usual management scenario that we determine with our assessments. So the further you push out the thinning, the more carbon you're going to store, the more money you're going to get paid from this exchange. In theory. <laughs> right. Yeah. And th- with thinnings we hear, maybe they're, those are actually less flexible and someone's, ha- you know, it's expensive to push out that final harvest by a year, but that's also this, you know, those are also the if a property has 500 acres of this example here, 500 acres of stands that are all ready to go for a final harvest, pushing that at final harvest out would be expensive because you're deferring that cash flow by a year. But like you said, those are also the properties that are going to get assessed as having a ton of you know, creditable volume of carbon that's um, assessed to be likely to be removed from the property. And so the number of you know, de- harvest deferral units you'd be eligible to sell as a landowner, you know, that number would go up. I know average isn't the right term to use. Your, your median rates that you've seen per acre, because I mean, that's what everybody's always asking is, all this yeah. sounds great. What are you paying? Yeah, no, totally. That's always the first question we, we uh, not first question, but definitely in the top five. Uh, we, we see between sort of five and $15 an acre as a sort of median range. Um, it'll really depend on property characteristics, the, where they are in that, in that life cycle of, of that rotation, like we talked about earlier. Uh, obviously differs quite a bit depending on where you are in the country. You know, the, this, uh, this program that we've developed has, is now eligible or available for landowners in, across the lower 48. And so the assessments really differ whether you're in Washington state or Mississippi or Wisconsin or Vermont, you know, the markets are different, the forest type and forest structure really differs. And so we're trying to do everything we can to get the inventory right, understand the market dynamics, understand the landowner harvesting behavior. Cause I sound like a broken record, but it's all about understanding what that business as usual management scenario is going to be for any given property. And then, uh, and then giving landowners the opportunity to change their behavior. And that's what creates that, uh, that climate benefit and carbon credit. And I, I would assume that the age of the stands matters too. So if you've got a three-year-old pine plantation versus a 15-year-old pine plantation, it's going to be storing different levels of carbon based on the on the age. Yeah, it'll be storing different levels of carbon. That's a really good one. I'm glad you brought up. It'll be storing different amounts of carbon and, and the growth rates are you know, a big factor there. But there's also, you know, we would say the three-year-old stand or the five-year-old stand has basically zero risk of a, of a harvest event occurring. So it's pulling down a lot of carbon, but no one has to pay you not to cut it. And so the harvest deferral units that would be assessed for that property would be, would be on the lower or that stand or track would be on the low end or maybe even zero in some cases. And that's because, you know, our credits that we're assessing to a landowner as being, you know, as what they're eligible to sell, those represent the, the merchantable volume we thought was going to come off the property. So for that recently replanted stand, it's pulling down a lot of carbon. It'll eventually be a great fit for our program. Uh, or that part of the property will generate a lot of credits for the program. But right now, this year, 
zero risk of harvest or very low risk of harvest means basically no harvest deferral units generated off that part of the property. So Alex, if you've got a stand, you know, use Clint's example or some of the examples we've used, once you get, and we'll go back to the pine plantation example, once you get to merchantable stage, say 15-ish years, there's a chance you could cut that entire stand at any moment given the right prices. If we saw a fluctuation in the in timber market like we did this year in parts of the southeast, hey, you know, let's clear cut. It's it's we're getting better prices. Gotta, than gotta we, cut it. Right. So there is a risk that you would cut it. You maybe wouldn't if you were just trying to grow into the next product class, but I see what you're saying there. What about other types of timber? So like Clint it's got some on his property. I've got some on my property, like bottomland hardwoods. Do, do those, those are at risk of being cut at any given moment. They're mature stands, uh, but a lot of times you can't get in there to cut them. It's wet. So is the accessibility a factor in this as well? Uh, I mean, given the right conditions, those stands are merchantable and they could be, could be cut, but they probably aren't going to get cut. Uh, is that something that can be enrolled? Yeah, that could still be enrolled and it essentially is on it's on NCX to determine the, the probability of, of that harvest event occurring on that part of the property and sort of the associated volume that would come off. And so we do for for those bottom land areas, we would be assessing sort of the probability of harvest that would be different and look yeah, look different than what we would assess for that, you know, upland, you know, pine plantation part of the property. You know, we also look at things like SMZs and buffer zones and understanding best management practices in a region to influence how much we assess a, a that part of the property is going to be likely to see you know harvest event uh, right of course also markets for those hardwood products you know that's another important thing like our you know what are the markets like their operability um, is another you mentioned that as well you know this is maybe more of a case in the you know intermountain west where we're not going to be assessing much risk of harvest at all on a really steep you know 35 degree slope where or a 40 degree slope where you're not going to get a logging crew in as, as you're kind of getting at here. We're really trying to be as precise as possible with, you know, given forest type stocking and markets and, you know, harvest, you know, harvestability, what's the likely volume that's going to come off in a business as usual scenario. And I, you've, you've alluded to this, but I, just to make it crystal clear, you don't have to come on the property to evaluate this, right? Right. To yeah, for the initial assessment, we do this all remotely. We do do um, some. I guess the the beginning of the of the performance period, we do a, a series of uh, of cruises on some selected properties. And what we're doing there, and what we're trying to do there, is once we have a, a set number of participants and their property boundaries all uh, identified through our auction, which we can talk about in a bit. Then at that point, we are sending cruises into the field to conduct ground measurements that inform the remote assessment of the project area for a given cycle that we're then going under contract with. So that, and it's worth mentioning too, those measurements will not in change the individual landowners you know, property assessment. It's more just ensuring that we have really good data for the property assessment area as a whole. All right, Alex. So a couple of questions that stuck out to me so far is just say you have hundred acres of uh, established hardwood that I'm, I'm never going to cut. Are the price for carbon credits the same for an established set of hardwoods as it would be for a pine plantation on the same track? A couple things there. The price per credit most likely won't be different uh, unless there was some sort of geographical preference or you know, particular forest type preference that a buyer was interested in. We did have a, a buyer in our most recent cycle who was excited about purchasing their 
their volume from landowners in the mid-Atlantic region, specifically from Delaware. So prices, prices for uh, the harvest deferral units in that region were different, but not as a function of different forest types. For us, it's really just about what's the total volume of carbon that's likely to come off this property in the coming year, whether it's in you know, predominantly hardwood, mixed hardwoods, combination of softwood, hardwoods, or pure pine plantation, really our job is understanding the carbon that's likely to come off the property. So for those, uh, you mentioned sort of the hundred acres of, or some of the hardwoods that you never cut, you know, if there was a reason or like a program you were in that restricted you from cutting those or um, they're, limited- they're just, they're just party, Alex, they're just party. Yeah, no, but as you said earlier, the, uh, the bright price comes along and you know, that, that's something that we, um, you know, we're, we're trying to model and understand is, you know, what, is the, what is the probability of that harvest occurring? That begs the question is, you know, what types of forests sequester the most carbon? Is it mature forests? Is it gr young growing forests? I mean, that's what I was getting at is I would think a huge hardwood would emit more carbon than a pine. I guess that was my. Yeah, they're definitely dense on, you know, on average, a, a more dense species. And um, our assessments reflect that. So the, the volume, whether it's board feed or green tons, whatever units you're using, you're going to get more bang for your buck on the, on the hardwoods, but they also don't grow as quickly. So there are different different factors there. We often we sometimes get you know folks will ask us, well, what, what should I be planting next year to maximize the carbon benefit? And I think for now, you know, you should be thinking about it more from a timber perspective. Um, you know, whatever your management regime is, um, and then know that most pro I mean, all programs, you know, I can speak most you know specifically about ours, but they'll be sort of adjusting their you know, the carbon potential adjusts, of course, depending on the forest type and the markets and whatnot. I know it's changed my perspective. I mean, I, like I've got a, a property we're looking at, you know, converting to longleaf plantation in some areas for straw. So I'm sitting there and, and you know, my wheels are turning. I'm going, all right, I'm going to plant it. I'm going to get it. We're going to get ready for straw. Eventually we're going to have a straw income and I'm doing this anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and enroll it in the NCX program. So I'm going to have income from that. I'm also going to be growing these beautiful saw logs and poles long-term because it's longleaf. So I've just got this, you know, three-way income level coming in just from every direction just trying to maximize that you know and if i want to get real crazy we'll start running cows in there too like we've talked about before and that you know just this complete diversity level achieved in a stand of timber that historically just wasn't there and it's just this this market driven innovation that i just i love about this and the one thing that attracted me to it now my land versus in the past is you know, if something happens and I do need to cut timber or I want to cut timber, I can do that and still be enrolled in the program. You know, Alex, I want you to elaborate on that. But basically, the way I understand it is my payment that I would have been or excuse me, would have received without thinning it or harvesting that stand would be just reduced up to a point. And but as long as I don't exceed that point, I'm still in the program. My payment's just prorated. Yep, that's that's right. And before I jump into that, I just want to elaborate a little bit on what you were saying with the, the sort of menu of options of the sort of diversity of revenue streams and uh, and services and market opportunities. And that's that's really our vision for our company. And I talked at the beginning about how we used to be Sylvia Terra, now we're the Natural Capital Exchange. Natural Capital Exchange for us is a, a menu of options for landowners to be able to understand value and then transact on all the ecosystem services and forms of natural capital that their forests provide. So that's something that we're very excited about and we feel like we're just getting started on with this carbon program. With your question on, uh, on how to be flexible with management during the program, a couple of things. You know, first of all, even though it's a requirement to enroll your entire property for assessment, 
we give landowners the flexibility to adjust below that business as usual baseline uh, in ways that work for them, whether that could be accommodating thinning or a, a small harvest operation they're going to take, take advantage of while they're going to defer maybe a final harvest on a couple other stands. And that's why our program works for landowners of all sizes. You could be a, you could be a 10,000 acre landowner, an industrial, you know, vertically integrated, you know, forest products company where you've got to be cutting every year. But if you can dial your, you know, your harvest schedule back a little bit, you can continue to cut, but harvest, or you can continue to harvest, but you can participate in our program. Or likewise, if you have a thinning, you really can't push off, but you can push off that final harvest on the other stand. Again, you can, you can adjust your bid volumes accordingly, how many units you actually sell into the program um, to account for that space you need in, in your harvest plan. In the case of a natural disaster, um, where a storm rips through and you lose a bunch of bunch of volume, as you said, you wouldn't be penalized. You would receive, you know, less income uh, from from the program because there wouldn't be that standing volume. But we aren't going to be penalizing folks um, who. Uh, for those reasons aren't able to deliver on their, their deferral unit commitments. All right, guys, let's take a quick break and hear from this week's sponsors. Southern Seed and Feed, do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also brought to you by Boaters List. Brush Clearing Services. Are you interested in building a healthy, sustainable habitat for a wide range of wildlife? If so, Brush Clearing Services and their 20 years of wildlife management experience should be your first choice. Brush Clearing Services Environmental Land Clearing Treatment selectively removes vegetation, leaving desirable trees and root structures undisturbed. Mulch left on site accelerates natural decomposition and reduces soil erosion while increasing soil moisture. Check out their full line of property and land services at www.brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. So you've got my wheels turning now. And uh, the last show we did, Alex was on selecting a site for a cabin on your property. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we talked about in there was, you know, clearing, you know, you got to, sometimes you need to clear a large area. Sometimes you want to incorporate that cabin into the landscape the the idea of cutting trees is there's a lot of different reasons you would do it maybe you're trying to doing it for the health of the stand you know trees need to be thin maybe you're doing it for wildlife trying to increase more open area for wildlife maybe you're putting in a cabin regardless of that you've got the flexibility to do it is there any kind of reporting or audit process i know you mentioned you're using satellites to actually determine what's on the ground and, you know, how much volume is there, how much is standing. But if we go in and, and we do that, hey, I'm Alex, I, I put in a cabin, I cut down three acres of trees to put in my cabin or whatever it may be, put in a road or did my thinning. Is it up to you guys to know that we did it? Or do we have to report that, that we did that process? How does that work? Yeah, so what we'll do after we do that initial assessment using I keep talking about our remote sensing technology. What we're referring to there is our, our base map product, which is using a combination of FIA plot data, our own ground measurements that we've collected over the years, and a couple of different sources of satellite imagery to get that inventory layer of every forested acre in the US. We use that for the initial assessments, but 
Then at the beginning and end of the one-year term, we actually do do some ground measurements on a handful of the properties that are enrolled in a given cycle. So for example, um, in our summer cycle of 2021, we had about a million acres under contract, uh, about 500 landowners. We cruised maybe a third of them, put in plots on their properties, not to change their own individual assessments, but to improve the uh, remote sensing and inventory and stocking estimates of the project area as a whole. So we had a better picture of, okay, we're using satellite imagery to understand the stocking levels uh, on these million acres that are pretty widely geographically dispersed. So we got to pick up some ground measurements here, here, and here, a lot of cruising. Um, and then we do that at the beginning and end of the one-year term. So we do do sort of a change detection, if you will. And so we're trying to determine, okay, landowner A, you were, you know, we assessed your property as moving, you know, 40 truckloads off the property. You said you were only going to remove 10 because you were going to do a thinning and you know, maybe clearing for that cabin. So what we need to confirm is that the 30 that you said was going to still be standing relative to the, the baseline that we assessed. We want to make sure those 30 loads are still standing. Man, that all sounds great. Where do I, where do I sign up? <laughs> so it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you, you're basically paying me to wait to cut my trees and paying me to grow my trees. I guess the one, clar one yeah. clarifying there is paying you to wait a little bit longer than you would have otherwise. And I, I going back to this, um, this change, change in, uh, change in management, because, you know, the, the first question you guys asked, which is a really good one is what is a carbon credit? Cause you hear that all the time. And, and, you know, for us, for our, our company and our, our beliefs is that, yeah, there's, you've got to really be focused on that first question. What is a carbon credit? What, what is it? What is really being delivered here in this marketplace? Is it additional? Is it actually resulting in a change in behavior and then the associated you know, climate environmental benefit as a result of that? Because if that part isn't really, really locked in and trusted and, and understood, then this whole marketplace maybe is a, a cool thing for a few years, but buyers will not be interested in buying low quality credits that are being generated from people not actually changing their behavior. So we really focus a lot on that additionality piece at the outset. Definitely makes sense. So, I mean, like I said, all this sounds awesome. What are some cons and what are some common objections that you guys have to bear? Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you asked that question. Cause it does, you know, it does sound exciting. One year term, you can do satellites flying around, and, you know, but I think <laughs> I don't need to understand the, the trade-offs. I mean, the obvious one is you're going under contract for a year and there are obligations as a landowner that you're, you know, you're meant to deliver on. And so, you know, there's, um, you know, there's challenges there. Uh, but I think we, we've developed a seller agreement that we think is very landowner friendly. And every quarter we do these enrollment periods and we, uh, and we take in landowner feedback from the quarter prior and we, we try to make the, the language make more sense. We've made some adjustments, you know, every quarter to make it, um, yeah, something that more and more landowners are excited about, about signing. I think there are other other programs out there that are that are trying to make um, the carbon opportunity work for especially non-industrial private forest landowners, and they're structured in different ways. They have longer time period, you know, contract commitments, but the payment structures are different, such that maybe you're getting paid more upfront in in sort of one lump sum, which is how some of the traditional carbon projects have worked for us. You know, you get paid after the one year and verify that you've delivered the the change in behavior that we that we signed you up for. And so you're getting paid, you know, in smaller increments, but on an annual basis. So there's you know, differences there. Not to say that's a bad thing, but something that, you know, landowners ask about the sort of upfront payment versus being paid after the one year. But yeah. I mean, we, we've really designed this program to be approachable for landowners. And we think that, you know, we're just getting started. And so being, being a landowner who's, who's, you know, in one of these early cohorts, um, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to 
interact with our team, uh, provide your feedback, and, uh, and really feel like you're being you know, part of some, building something new and exciting, which uh, you know I think landowners are are pretty motivated by. Alex, you hit on something I think is important to go back to, and you know you said that this program is in place to incentivize landowners to conduct themselves a little differently than the standard course of business, the standard course of, you know, maybe even aged timber management. And, you know, one of the shows we've done in the past is the practice of uneven aged timber management. And this brings that back to mind, you know, if somebody wanted to start to manage their timber and leave it standing, you know, and allow that timber that's there to reseed and, there's a whole host of benefits to doing it that way, but this gives you another income stream that makes up for you not doing that final clear cut because really in that uneven age management, you're never doing that final total clear cut. There's little patch clear cuts that are done, but there's always seed trees left over. So I could definitely see how the added income there is a, is a benefit that would make me want to want to change. It would make me want to not go in and just, take it all down and start back new and, and then not be able to really get much of a, a credit uh, much or a good price for my credit because I'm starting with one-year-old pines again. So talking about those prices, again, you mentioned that range is somewhere maybe five to $15 per credit. Does that mean that somebody who's got more mature trees or more basal area maybe uh, is going to be on the higher end of that spectrum of prices versus somebody who's got younger trees, uh, not a lot of basal area or not a lot of volume, uh, they're going to be on the lower end of that spectrum. Yeah. I just want one tweak there, five to $15 an acre. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the, yeah, it's a, it's a it, yeah, there's a relief per acre or for property sort of average price and the, the credit price will be the same unless there are those sort of characteristics of the seller or the landowner that um, the buyer's excited, but they might get a better price, but let's just say simpler, you know, for simplicity, the, credit price is the same. You're right. For a landowner who's got, you know, more basal area, more merchantable volume on the property, their you know, dollars per acre as an opportunity would probably be higher, assuming markets are you know, consistent between whatever your property, you know, the property you're comparing, comparing to. And your point about the sort of management definitely hits home. And Clint, you mentioned you're, you know, you're working on that um, conversion to you know, a long lease system. You know, if our program is, is the not pine straw that breaks the camel's back, you know, to, to get you to make that conversion. That's, that's great. That's exactly what, you know, we're, we're looking to do is to, to, to provide that extra income stream so you can do something different if you, if you want to do, do that and you're motivated to do it. But the economic cost of doing that is, is holding you back. Well, and another thing that you guys do that, that I think it's important for people to understand, and it took me some time to kind of come to terms with it on how to get enrolled when, because you asked, in, the, in this application process, if I'm, if I'm using the right term there, how much would you be willing to bid in at to enroll in this program? And you give a suggestion of a baseline, which I think on this last quarter was $5. And, but you pay whatever the market pays. So even if somebody like me, I enrolled at $5 or, or submitted at $5, well, each, we had three different tracks. Each of them paid the market rate for that. There's the same unit metric but the price that i was paid per acre was adjusted based on the stand and the volume and ages and locations so on every site i got paid more than five dollars an acre but i think on the youngest site we had which was anywhere from two to seven year old plantation primarily we got about seven bucks an acre 
on the oldest stuff that's all merchantable, you know, all at risk, all could be harvested. We hit around that 15 mark, 12 to 15, depending on the site. So, you know, a landowner's not under this pressure to sit there and negotiate with you guys to determine that rate. You advise people what to come in at and say, look, if it brings this, that's what you get paid. But if it brings more than that, you get paid the maximum. That's right. That really helped me get comfortable with it as well. Yeah, we, we refer to that as already a uniform price clearing option. So as you said, you as a landowner can put in a price that is you know good for you from an economic perspective. Because it, as we talked about, each landowner, and we have a good blog post on our website about this topic, you know, each landowner is going to have a slightly different economic cost of that deferral, depending on you know the economics on their property. Uh, what's you know, what's the what's the product class distribution? What's the mill paying for that product? What's it going to cost to get it to the mill? What's the landowner's motivation? Because there's that's a part that's maybe you don't find that in a spreadsheet, but that's also part of this equation of what it's going to cost you and what, what you want to be paid to defer that harvest event. And then you can submit that bid. And that you might, it might be that the today at prices that buyers are willing to pay today for carbon credits, that the economics don't work out. It's going to cost, you know, deferring, uh, like we talked about, deferring that. You know, forty dollars a ton saw timber harvest is is expensive, and um, if you aren't if it's if the numbers aren't going to work out, then maybe the the program isn't um, isn't the right fit right now. But for those other stands where maybe it's a lower you know lower quality product mix or lower you know pulpwood chip and saw, if you're trying to do something else like you were, if you were saying you're converting to a different you know forest system. Um, this this program could be a could be a really good fit, and ultimately we think that landowners being able to do that auction and bid process, even though it is a little bit more complicated. Um, we think giving that price signal to the market is really important so that buyers really understand like what it's going to cost to change uh, landowners' you know, mind on how they're going to manage their forest. Because going back to that additionality question, that's what it all, uh, that's what it all ties back to. Alex, you mentioned at the very beginning, you know, you guys are using your own tools to make these assessments uh, of what's there you know, what, what is physically there? I just had a timber cruise done on my property. Does that ever come into play? You know, if you've got, I've, I've had a registered consulting forester out there, he's done a cruise on the property. We know what's there. Is there a discrepancy ever, you know, that can be solved there if, if, if something comes back or do y'all use that information to help with your accuracy? Yeah, that's a really good question. We would like to use that in the future. Right now, we don't really set up in a way to take sort of anyone's cruise information and sort of put it into our model. Uh, but we're, we would love to work on ways to incorporate that information. We hear that from foresters from time to time. You know, oh, you know, I want to understand the inventory metrics you use because we just did a cruise last week and this is what we saw. I'd say by and large, our, our inventory uh, accuracy is really high because that's something that we did for you know, a decade, essentially. And right. so especially in the Southeast where we had a lot of work and with different clients, we got really good at, at, uh, at yeah, the remote inventory assessments. Another thing that's important we haven't really talked much about yet is the whole methodology certification process. And so, you know, as you said, you know, we're we're doing this using programs and systems that we've developed, but we're also adhering to sort of the public uh, review and sort of transparency component as well, which is really critical for these carbon markets. And so we've we've worked really closely with Vera, which is one of the third-party certification bodies that are you know leading the charge with getting these forest carbon program methodologies out and available. Um, so that folks know that there's a third party that's, you know, observing and auditing what we and CX, the project developer, are doing, making sure it all all the math works out. Um, and so we're we're always having to incorporate. Okay, we'd love to be able to take this one particular 
um, crews or management plan or whatever, but then we'd have to have a way to make it um, extensible to, you know, fit into our methodology, which is meant to apply for, you know, really any different landowner in, in the U.S. Well, Alex, man, everything we've talked about today, you, you've got my economic side excited. You know, this is a new, and Clint, we've done a show on just the, <laughs> so many different options for landowners in terms of income, but you've got my ear because I've learned about a new way that I can generate revenue. And that's not so much for, you know, so that I can sit on my big mountain of gold. It's more about like, if I can make this land provide more income, then I can start to manage that land in ways that maybe weren't accessible to me before. And that, that appeals to my ecological side. You know, now I've got, if I can get $14 an acre, you know, in carbon credits, that, that gives me the ability to, you know, maybe do prescribed fire, you know, every year I should do it. And, And that adds a whole nother host of benefits to wildlife and things of that nature. And maybe this gives me the ability to move from an even age management system to an uneven age management system, because I've got a little bit of extra income along the way to not be so worried about, you know, that $40 saw timber price and feeling like I got to clear cut it all the way down to the ground. The next question just becomes, how does somebody reach out? How does somebody really get started with this? It's exciting, but what's the actual process like? Are there any kind of deadlines? Is it, you know, are there enrollment periods? What's that process like? Yeah. So we do a quarterly, quarterly enrollment period. Uh, we right now we are enrolling folks across, like I said, the lower 48 uh, until March 1st for our 2022 spring cycle. Getting started is really simple. Uh, we've developed a we, what we think is a pretty great online platform for landowners to get in, and they can sign up uh, their property uh, using our uh, using our website. You can start there at landowners.ncx.com. Part of the change from Sylvia Terra to natural capital exchange that we knew we could get down to NCX, which is easier to spell than Sylvia Terra. Uh, you'd be surprised how many different ways people try to spell Sylvia Terra. No, we're most of it. We're from Alabama here, Alex. We, we, we totally get it. We can't, <laughs> we can't spell. We are those people. No, it's right. I'm from Canada. We had all sorts of extra U's and E's in places too. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Getting started at landowners.ncx.com. It's really easy. I should also mention, because I'm sure you guys have a lot of consulting foresters that, that uh, are avid listeners to the podcast. We have a great program for consultants to manage this, um, this enrollment process on behalf of their clients. Uh, we definitely encourage landowners who are considering a program like ours who work with a forester to loop their forestry in, because as, as we've talked about at length now, this is a really critical potential change to a management plan and the forester is going to be your, you know, your partner and trusted advisor in that. And so if you're working with a forester, definitely encourage you to, to bring them up to speed on what you're thinking. And then the forester can you know, take advantage of a lot of the resources we've developed on our, for our consulting forester program, which is also accessible from our main website, uh, ncx.com. Um, you'll see an opportunity to enroll and have a, a dashboard where you can, you know, if you have five or 10 clients, you can manage their enrollment on behalf of, uh, on behalf of them. But uh, yeah, to get started with the assessment, it's really some basic property information. We're, we're looking for contact information, some information about your ownership, sort of um, basic stuff, and then uh, you know, legal entity name, that kind of thing, what kind of ownership it is. And then all we really need is property boundaries, which if you have a shape file, you, know, you, could, you could be done the whole process in five minutes. Otherwise, we've developed a pretty cool tool where you can select your parcels on a map. Um, so we, we think it's pretty straightforward and you get good feedback from folks, uh, who don't like paperwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many acres do you guys have enrolled right now? 
I think under contract, we have uh, close to 4 million acres. Uh, over the last year, I know we've worked with, uh, yeah, north of 2,000 landowners. Um, some really, really big ones. Some, I think, as small as, you know, less than fewer than 20 acres. Very so, cool. Joe, you can finally use that giant can of aerosol Aquanet that you like to use every day to get that hair to stay like you want it. Uh, <laughs> you got to offset your, your aerosol. Yeah. Yeah, they're finally offsetting all those holes in the ozone you've been creating. <laughs> hold on, hold on a minute. I'm gonna go crank my truck. Uh, uh, no, that's very cool, Alex. Thanks for joining us today, man. I feel like I really understand it now, and yep. uh, hopefully everybody that, that had questions got them answered. But if we generate some more, we're definitely going to be looking to you guys to answer them in the future and and stay on top of this. One last question for you: You mentioned again back to those those carbon credit prices right now, maybe five to $15. Is that fluctuate? Has it fluctuated a lot over the years? I mean, you mentioned the demand from these companies wanting to create that net zero emissions. That is something I think you're going to see more of. I don't, I don't think you're going to see less companies wanting that net zero uh, carbon footprint. So that what you would expect to have more demand for this, but how, how much variation is there in the prices? Yeah, that's a really good, really good one to, to bring up. Um, as we've run a couple of commercial scale cycles in 2021, I think what we saw was initially prices sort of started actually pretty high because we had a lot of interest from some particularly large buyers and we were just getting started on the landowner recruitment side. And so there's a ton of demand on a small amount of supply. Um, over time, those prices have settled down in the sort of five to $10 per unit range, like we talked about. Going forward, we think, as you've alluded to, this is pretty quickly going to become a supply constrained market. If you, it's pretty, if you, if you add up the, the climate commitments that a lot of these big companies have made, and then you look to just focusing on the U.S. for a second, what U.S. forests could provide in terms of real credible carbon offsets, demand massively outstrips what the supply is that's available. And so there will be other places these companies go for you know, achieving their carbon uh, reduction or emissions targets, but a lot of these companies care a lot about nature-based solutions. They love the story of being able to partner with American forest landowners to achieve their goals. And so, um, yeah, we think demand is, is going to skyrocket and there'll be, it'll be a supply constrained market and landowners we think will, will benefit from that quite a bit. Good to I hear, think man. they'll benefit there from the, on the same token at timber prices. Cause as you take this right. wood off the market for a year, that's less timber that can be bought. Uh, so you're going to see timber prices move in conjunction with this. And also as timber prices go up and over time, carbon credit prices are going to have to go up as well to compete with that. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, we, we definitely think a lot about the landscape level economics and, you know, we sometimes talk about our program is considering it being another mill in your region that is taking delivery on the stump, you know, where just more competition for your business. I think mills uh, rightly are sort of concerned or questioned about, you know, questions about, oh, what is this whole carbon thing going to do for our wood supply? And what we think is that, you know, ultimately it could, it's going to be good for everyone in the long term. There's going to be more wood on the landscape, good quality products. Um, and, and ultimately we're not just going into one region. You know, this program is across the country, so it's not like there's any one mill that's going to be specifically disadvantaged or not. But, and we want to work, you know, we want to work with, with everybody throughout the wood products value chain you know, from the landowner to the forester to the, to the mill, because, you know, it's all about understanding the, the economics for the landowner and, and their management objectives. And, 
and working together to to use this as a as a tool to yeah change the economics and um, and and provide more provide more options for those landowners. So we have worked with a couple mills that have wood supply agreements with with a network of landowners in their in their region, and, and they're similarly excited about the flexibility and sort of tool and toolbox that, that this provides. Well, Alex, man, it's uh, like I said, it's been enlightening. I, I definitely feel like I learned a lot and uh, I hope hope everybody listening has too. Again, folks want to check this out, ncx.com. And then for, for your landowners, it's landowners.ncx.com. Yep, that's right. And if you're a consultant, you can see a lot of information available on that main first website, ncx.com. Thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Well, Butch, do you feel like you uh, know what carbon credits are now? And can you explain it to me? Yeah, probably. What did you learn? Man, I learned all of it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, I mean, he, he did a really, Alex did a great job of breaking it down for a, uh, you know, high-tech redneck like myself. Right. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. I'm really looking forward to exploring that option for our, our tract up there. I think the bigger question is, why wouldn't you do it, in my opinion? Yeah, I mean, doesn't seem it seems like they've taken the cons out of it. Really, you're not yeah. losing the ability to harvest. Should no long contracts. If yeah, no long contracts. If prices just skyrocket or something, and and or Cut. you you've got to get a smaller for, and you'll get a smaller carbon credit check. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I'm not seeing the cons. And the thing that I I really saw that got me excited is you know on those years that you could harvest but you don't have to harvest, and you don't really like the price that you get for your timber. Yeah, wait a year. Maybe the right. maybe the economy or maybe the market will improve and get better price. So you get a yeah. little income all, along the way. So I really like that. Clint, you've already done this. You've already been through the process. So take everybody through what it was really like. Was this laborious or was it pretty easy? Uh, it was super easy. I drew a map uh, in the side their system. It tells you how many acres you've drawn off. You get it wrong, you do it again. Get it till you get it right, and then you just submit it. And um, you know, they'll come back to you. It's a little bit of a step-by-step process, which is good. They'll come back and kind of give you an evaluation. And then you make a decision on if you want to proceed or not. And, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is that when I, when I talked to one of their reps coming in, I said, look, if I just change my mind next month, is that okay? And they basically said, yeah, no problem. You know, you're not going to get that check, but you know, we're, you're no penalty for signing up. Yeah. I mean, that, that was huge to me because historically these programs carried a lot of penalties, a lot of time, you know, a, a lot of, of, just terms that really bound landowners down and th- this doesn't. So, you know, the, the summary for me was one year term. That's easy. Okay. Uh, that's great. And then after that, I can choose to re-enroll or not um, competitive rates. You know, I'm getting a great payment for something that I was going to do anyway. It's basically like, you know, getting a hunting lease on the property, but nobody's out there hunting it. I still can do whatever I want to, or if I want to lease the hunting out now, I've got a hunting lease income and a carbon credit lease income. And, um, I can still cut timber. Like you said, if something happens, you know, a natural disaster, bugs, fire, wind, storm, whatever, I could still cut timber. No problem. Uh, it's just all wind to me. You know, the long-term effects of this are the more you do this as a landowner, the more you, develop that income stream you can add that into the valuation of your property if you've done this for a few years you now can prove to somebody that's looking at buying your property hey i've got a steady income stream from carbon storage that's a great point so it raises the value of your land of your bare land value 
Now your timber values are also affected because it's removing timber from the market. It creates more competition for sawmills. Uh, so timber prices in theory should go up because there's more competition for less of that product. And then as timber prices go up, carbon credit prices are going to have to go up to compete with that. So now timber prices continue to go up through that competition as well. So you combine that with the increase in the bare land value. It's again, just a win-win all around for everybody. Man, you got me fired up. I'm going to go up to my place. Too. I'm going to hug some trees this weekend. I mean, <laughs> make some so carbon. Many. I'm going to get out there and just not cut anything down. It's going to be great. Carbon, carbon, carbon. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Don't forget about our sponsors and make sure you support them when you're out in the marketplace. Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. If you're frustrated with typical hunting and fishing magazines and tired of reading content, are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guides who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At Bucks Island, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats. New and used motors as well as kayaks for sale. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats. They can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Well, folks, that is going to wrap it up this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt Land Show is brought to you by Fatanas Defense. The Fatanas Defense PD Pro Ultralight Ultra Compact Night Vision System. Simply the best in class night vision systems ever built. Contact FatanasDefense.com to learn more. Fatanas Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also Boaters List. Boaters List is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water. Locate anything from fuel docks to service repairs, or rentals of large yachts, all the way down to paddleboards, and all things in between. Boaterslist.com will always strive to make it better on the water. And also by The Hunting Exchange. Buy and sell your hunting gear securely online. PayPal protected purchases, no hidden charges, listings are free. Head over to the App Store or Google Play and download The Hunting Exchange app today.